It's a real joy to be with you folks again. Right now, the worship reminded me of what we used to experience in Govan. We were blessed with our wonderful worship leader, and sometimes we'd worship for half an hour with no interruptions at all, just flowing on from one song to the next. It was just so beautiful and so powerful. It does make quite a difference to the preacher standing up to preach. When there's worship preceding the preaching that really lifts our spirits and has invited the Lord as we did this just now to come in his glory and fill this room. You know, I've been struggling, Lorraine, to remember the name of the man who founded OM. George Verver. Well, George Verver, many, many years ago, taught me to do something I have been doing ever since. Oh, what would that be? Well, we had a team in Govan, a team of young people working with us for a weekend in outreach. And we had them billeted in various members' homes. And late on the Saturday evening, one of the members who was expecting two of the boys to, to come to their home phoned me and told me, the boys haven't turned up Sunday. Oh, I said, okay, I'll get on to the office and see what's happening. And I phoned the number I'd been given, and I got George Verber. I said, oh, that's all right. The Lord knows where they are. And he began to pray. I've never ever had anybody praying over a telephone before. I've never prayed over a telephone before. But I tell you this, I've been doing it ever since. On the last evening, I had a phone call from a lady who was rather distressed and... Uh, we spoke for a while and I said, well, let me pray for you now. Pray over the telephone. It's wonderful to be able to pray for people. You don't have to go and visit them. Oh, we should do that too. But it's wonderful just to be able to pick up the phone and pray for someone in need. And it was George Berber who taught me to do that. Father, we thank you for this further opportunity of coming to seek your face, coming to listen to your voice. We thank you that you want to speak to us you really want to encourage us. You want to minister to us. You know our varied needs, and they are many. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and help me as I speak and help all of us to just tune in to what you are saying to us individually. That we might go away this morning with a spring in our step, a lightness in our spirit, and a fresh vision of what can be achieved by your grace. In Jesus' name. Sometimes I struggle a bit to be sure what the Lord wants me to preach on a given occasion. That was true this week, and I'd thought of various different possibilities, but none of them just came right. I didn't have peace about any of them. And then I turned to Judges chapter 6, where, of course, we read about, yes, Gideon. So let's read the opening verses of that chapter this morning. Judges, chapter 6. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, you'll know it's a sad tale of ups and downs, because the Israelites enjoyed periods of peace and rest for a while and then they got into sinning in one way or other again and, and God withdrew his protection from them and they were in deep trouble and that went on for years and years sometimes 
Eventually they cried to God and God came and answered them and helped them and blessed them. That's the whole pattern of the book of Judges. One of those so-called judges or leaders was this man called Gideon. So, Judges chapter 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped in the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abai Ezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites as if they were but one man. The Israelites at this point in time, as we learn from the last verse of chapter 5, had enjoyed peace for 40 years a considerable period of time. But at the end of that time, they began to get careless again and began sinning again. And they persisted in sinning to the point where God withdrew his protection from them and they were in deep trouble once more. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Seven years is not as long as 40, but it's a fair long time when the enemy is harassing you and stealing your property, your stock, your food, the lot. They lived in fear. They lived in poverty. They lived in desperation. And it took them seven years to repent and cry to God in prayer. 
we can summarize the problem in words that we find there in verse 5. These Midianites and Amalekites impoverished the Israelites because they invaded the land to ravage it. So the first thing we want to think about this morning is invasion to ravage. Ravage means to spoil, to corrupt, to destroy, to cause enormous damage. That sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? As we watch our news bulletins and see what's happening down in Somerset and the south of England, the land literally is being ravaged. Not by Amalekites or Midianites, but by water. Now, I learned with certain horror just this last week that a certain man some of you may have heard of called Clifford Hill, who has over many years been bringing prophetic words to our nation. In his most recent prophetic word issued recently, he recalled what happened, and I didn't know about this, and some of you maybe remember it, at the closing of the Olympic Games last summer, there was some kind of celebration, if you could call it that, in which spirits, that is evil spirits, though the people doing the thing wouldn't think of them as that, evil spirits were invited to do A, B, C and D. And one of the spirits that was called upon to affect our land was the spirit of water. Would you believe it? Would you believe it? Now you may think I'm going a bit over the top this morning. I don't think so. God uses all sorts of judgment. And as he did in Noah's day, he's doing again in our day, in our own country. And here were these people being relentlessly harassed. Now Midian means literally strife or contention. These people loved causing trouble. They loved fighting. They were aggressive, nasty people. And Amalek means warlike. Put the two together and you've got a big problem. And they kept on attacking the Israelites. There was invasion to ravage. Again and again, these awful people invaded the land. It was the desire and ambition of Adolf Hitler to invade this nation. And I think I'm right in saying that in the mercy of God, this nation has never been invaded since 1066. That's a long time ago. But here were these people again and again coming, invading the land to ravage it. And we know from the record of scripture here that the door was opened by sin. It's always the same. It's always the same. The door was opened by sin. If we go over to the New Testament and see what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, he speaks about the origin of sin. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, Death came to all men because all sinned. That is the origin of sin on planet earth. We know the story, perhaps all of us know it well. That the evil one came and tempted Adam and Eve and they gave in. They yielded to temptation and opened the door 
by sinning. And sin is always followed sooner or later by death. You see, back in Noah's day, things were very bad in the earth. God was very, very displeased with what was going on at that time. We're told Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. That rings a bell too in terms of what we hear on the news today. The earth was corrupt and full of violence and God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. You better build a boat. Yes, it's all being repeated in a sense on a smaller scale in the south of our own nation. The door was opened by sin. And we know, some of us from painful experience, that in our own lives, if we give way to sin, it opens the door to other things. I like the illustration of what happens when you throw a stone, a pebble, into a large pond. You know what happens. From that point where the stone hits the water, the ripples go out in ever-widening circles, and you can't stop it happening. You threw the stone, and the consequences will follow. And all of us, even though we've known the Lord for many years, need to be reminded now and again that if we give way to sin, there are consequences. There are always consequences. And we think, oh well, the consequence that really matters, of course, is guilt. Uh, and we can deal with that. We can confess our sins and, and God will do what he's supposed to do. He'll forgive us our sins. Ah, but wait a minute. There are other consequences besides guilt. Oh yes. Oh yes. You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to elaborate. Here there was an invasion to ravage. The door was opened by sin. And the destruction was carried out by Satan. The Amalekites and the Midianites were agents of Satan in carrying out this tremendous destruction upon the Israelite territory. Now, of course, we know from our Lord Jesus himself what to expect from Satan. In John 10, he said, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, said Jesus, that people may have life in its fullness. Two complete opposites, one bringing destruction, one bringing life. And then again in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is speaking to Jewish people who thought they were rather respectable people, and yet they, they were very disturbed when Jesus said to them, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies that's who Satan is thief, liar, murderer he's having a field day throughout the earth right now even our Lord Jesus was in danger in infancy do you remember when Herod heard of the birth of this baby he asked the wise men to go and investigate and come back and report to him 
Not so he could give a gift to the new baby. Quite the opposite. The wise men were advised by an angel to go home a different way, warned in a dream. And when these wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, the destroyer, Satan, using a human agent, <coughs> though he failed to destroy the infant Messiah. So what is the answer when we're faced with invasion to ravage? What is the answer when the enemy comes in like a flood and we seem panicked like these Israelites must have been panicked many times over? What could they do? They would wring their hands and say, well, it's all happened before and it's happening again. What on earth can we do? And eventually they cried to God for help. And the invasion to ravage was matched from God's side by an invasion to rescue. He mounted a rescue operation. Good news. Oh yes. What did God do? In answer to the prayers of his people? He sent them not, first of all, a rather clever, able general. No. He sent them a prophet. Now the prophet's unique ministry throughout scripture really is to bring a, a very important word from God for a critical situation. And that of course was what happened here. He sent them a prophet who said this is what the Lord the God of Israel is saying. I brought you out of Egypt and so on and I told you not to get mixed up with these pagans in whose land you're living but you haven't listened. You've broken the law. Oh. We know that when our Lord Jesus was about to come into the world, God sent a prophet to prepare the way. We know him as John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he addressed the Jewish people of his day who thought they were doing nicely, thank you. And he made it very clear to them they were not doing nicely, thank you. And he called them to repentance. Back in Hosea, we learned something that we may not think it's terribly important but it's interesting in Hosea we learn that Moses was a prophet Hosea says the Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt by a prophet he cared for him and you see Moses had the unenviable task of going and facing this powerful Egyptian ruler Pharaoh and saying listen I've got a message from you from God let my people go. Well, that's prophetic stuff, isn't it? No messing about. Let my people go. I love the story of Jeremiah's experience with the Lord when the Lord was calling him and preparing him. And Jeremiah felt, as Moses also felt, although they were very different in ages, Moses was an old man when the Lord called him to serve him in a special way. Jeremiah was a young man. But the call of Jeremiah is recorded in Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. Beware of these words, I am only. Because they usually are a negative statement. 
I'm not much good. I couldn't do that. Oh, don't say it. Jeremiah said, I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. I'm with you and will rescue you. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth, says Jeremiah, and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down the destroy and overthrow to build and to plant. A famous evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, a German evangelist who's done a lot of uh, evangelism in African countries, I remember him saying on one occasion, the time came in his life, as a young evangelist he was getting nowhere. If he had 50, he thought he had a crowd. Uh, not much was happening. And on one occasion the Lord said to him, like he said to Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. Well, this time with the evangelist, the Lord added the words, My words in your mouth are as powerful as my words in my mouth. Wow! Wow! Do you believe that? Is God's word in your mouth or mine actually as powerful as it would be if it was spoken by Jesus himself? Perhaps it's right to say yes. Because it's the word of God that's living and active. This is a powerful book. This is a life-changing book. Oh yes. God sent a prophet. And after the prophet, what next? Well, we're told in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Hophra. Where in the Old Testament we find someone described, a visitor described as an angel of the Lord. That's probably exactly what he was. An angel of the Lord, one of many angels. But when we read as we read here, it was the angel of the Lord who came and sat under the oak tree. It is almost certainly right to believe that this was one of the pre-incarnate manifestations of our Lord Jesus. Disguised as an angel, looked like a, like a man, a male figure, but it was actually Jesus. So Jesus comes to where Gideon is, threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding it from the Midianites. Oh, so what does the Lord say? The Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you mighty warrior <laughs> I have a few dear friends besides yourselves and uh, one of my dear friends who sends me faithfully a Christmas card each year and a birthday card each year she always addresses me huh, as mighty man of God oh I love it <laughs> I love it mighty man of God well she wasn't being the original really because the Lord sent it long ago to Gideon that's what he said Mighty man of God, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I wonder how Gideon felt when he heard these words, apart from the argument he presented, why is all this stuff happening to us if the Lord is with us? He didn't feel remotely like a mighty warrior. He felt like a rather feeble young man doing the best he could in the circumstances. And suddenly the Lord hits him with heaven's assessment 
who he is. Beware of believing what other people say about you. Some of it is complimentary, some is not. Some of it is true, some is not. Beware of kind of working out yourself who you are, what you are. It's what Jesus says we are, it's what God says we are that is the absolute truth. And here is this fearful man Gideon hearing these amazing words The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, Gideon finds it very hard to believe this, of course. So, what can we conclude from all this? Gideon says, asks the obvious question, why has all this happened? Why has the Lord abandoned us? And so on. And the angel of the Lord doesn't really answer the question. The Lord, and he's called the Lord in verse 14, he's called the angel of the Lord in verse 11, he's called the Lord in verse 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You see, when we find it hard to believe that one individual operating in the power of Almighty God can do something really effective in some grim situation, we've got to remember that on the one hand, yes, it's true, and the Bible makes it very clear it's true, that behind the evil that permeates the world and causes such destruction in the world, behind all that... There is the evil one. There is God's arch enemy, Satan. But hey, what does the Bible tell us about Satan? Well, here it is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, John writes, The reason, not the only reason, but he says it as if it was the only reason, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, to destroy the devil's work. And if we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, it gets even better. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says, Since the children of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Satan hates these words. He loathes them. But they're true. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and ultimately destroy the devil himself. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is writing there to Christian believers in this city of Colossae. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code of this regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Some of you may remember J.B. Phillips, who produced a paraphrased version of the New Testament way back 50 years ago or so. And he paraphrased that last verse like this. That our Lord Jesus left the powers of darkness, shattered, empty, 
undefeated in his final glorious triumphant act isn't it wonderful to know that the Bible tells us clearly and simply and plainly that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again he did not only deal decisively with our sins he did that hallelujah but he also dealt decisively with our arch enemy we have an enemy God's enemy is our enemy but he's a defeated foe God in his wisdom allows him freedom to operate far and wide and do all manner of damage we wonder why sometimes but the fact is he operates on the end of a chain if you don't believe that read the first chapter of Job second chapter of Job Satan was allowed to, to go so far with Job but God set the limits so far you may go Satan and no further and that's very reassuring invasion to ravage was followed by invasion to rescue and what is the outcome of all this well the outcome simply is that through the word of the prophet and then through the visitation of the Lord this young fellow Gideon received an invitation an invitation to rise to become very different from what he had been prior to the Lord's visit you see he was called to arise with a new identity before the visit of the Lord he thought well I am the son of my father and the grandson of my grandfather I'm part of the clan this that and the next thing that's who I am but the Lord changed all that the Lord called him a mighty warrior the Lord spoke about the strength he already had and the Lord said I'm going to be with you he arose with a new identity that the moment you or I come to Jesus and surrender our lives to him and come under his rightful lordship in our lives that very moment we are given by heaven a new identity I've still got my identity card from 1940 something <laughs> our identity is important who are you? who am I? George Duncan used to tell about the man in America who went around with a cap with a funny thing in the, in the front of the cap and it said B-A-I-K and one of his friends said to him what does that silly thing in your head mean? what, what, is that, what does B-A-I-K stand for? oh he said, I can tell you that it means boy am I confused <laughs> and his friend said to him well actually that's not how you spell confused well he said that just proves how confused I am <laughs> But no, joking apart, we have a new identity. It's summed up, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul says, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things, A-L-L, all things have become new. What a glorious identity. of past wiped out and everything renewed. Oh, that's wonderful we have a new identity 
But like Gideon, you see, we also have a new ability. The Lord says to him and says, go in the strength you have. And Gideon doesn't feel he has any strength. He feels weak and pathetic. And the Lord says, go in the strength you have. What did the Apostle Paul say to the Philippians? I can do all things in him, through him who strengthens me. When I am weak, then am I strong. And the great promise of Jesus in preparation, the final thing Jesus said to his disciples in preparation for Pentecost was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power in you ability. So here is Gideon being given a new identity, a new ability and a new priority. Up to now he had been trying to save his own skin and protect his own family. And God said, well actually I've got a bigger operation for you to take on board. You have to save Israel. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I don't know what kind of ambition you have. But I still long in my old years, old age, to do something more significant, more effective than I've ever done before. And here is this young man being called to an enormous responsibility, a new priority, save Israel. Gideon, what you are going to do is going to affect the nation. Well, what our politicians do affects the nation. Not always helpfully. But you see, one individual can do things that affect the whole nation. And we who belong to Jesus have the call to a new priority. What is it? Well, it's summed up really in Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus taught the disciples and those who were listening in, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we're not just to seek the righteousness of God and live righteous lives. Of course we're, we're called to that. But it's bigger than that. Seek the kingdom of God. There's a great deal of misunderstanding and confusion in the church about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, I have come to the conclusion, rightly or wrongly, I think rightly, that the best way to understand the kingdom of God is this, in terms of the kingly power of God. You see, there are kings and queens who are just figureheads. They don't really exert any power worth talking about. But the kingdom of God is God's kingly power breaking into situations and changing them enormously. I understand that. There's more to it than that, but that's the essence of it. It's God putting forth his power and saying, I'm going to change this situation. And we're called to cooperate, to collaborate with him. A new priority. And a new authority. A new authority. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? This is not a bright idea of yours, Gideon. I am sending you. The Lord is saying to Gideon, I am sending you on this mission. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus said in the upper room Easter, Easter Sunday evening? Said to these frightened disciples, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you on world mission. Operation mobilization, you for the mission, etc., etc. Evangelism all over the world. A new authority. I love the fact that it wasn't to the twelve who became apostles, or were apostles. 
that Jesus said this. It was to the 70 or 72 who were sent out over and above the 12 apostles. It was to them he said, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. When Satan tries to pull a fast one on us, and get us down and get us into some sin and get us into some tangle we shouldn't be in, here is our authority over him. He has not one shred of authority over the Christian. And we have 100% authority over him. Jesus said so. But we've got to exercise it. And that's why James says, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. Jesus did it. He resisted Satan. Satan had to go. We are called to do the same. A new authority. And a new victory. A new victory. Gideon, who had experienced so much defeat as part of the Israelite nation, which was being hammered by these Amalekites and these Midianites, he was going to see the tide turn and he was going to experience a new victory. And you see, if we turn to First John chapter 5, the same John in the same letter who said that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil says this, everyone born of God has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, even he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh yes, we're called the victory. That's why Paul could write to the Roman Christians, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. We're not more than conquerors because we feel more than conquerors. You may feel anything but a conqueror today. But that's what's potentially within us. More than conquerors. Through the power of the living God. Two more things. A new intimacy. Gideon heard the Lord say, The Lord is with you. Mighty man of God, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel. And the Lord says, I will be with you. And of course, these words are repeated in different forms throughout the whole of Scripture. These are the very words with which Jesus ended the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them, and I will be with you. Do you know there are times when I need to go somewhere and do something and maybe see someone and... uh, I sometimes wish I still had my wife to go with me and share in these things. And I feel a bit unwilling to tackle it alone. And then the Lord reminds me, Sandy, get on with you. Get on with it. Just get on with it. Because I'm coming with you. When these words are so well known to us and so simple, and yet make a world of difference. We don't go out there to face the world on our own. Not at all. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, he is in us and with us. And that makes all the difference. And the final word, in addition to all these other blessings, a new identity, a new ability, a new priority, a new authority, a new victory, a new intimacy, we have a new anointing. Yes? We have a new anointing. Again, in that same letter, 1 John John says this in chapter 2 he says you he is writing to Christians he says you have an anointing from the Holy One towards the end of the chapter he says this the anointing you received from him remains in you 
His anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit. A new anointing. And what John says, Paul also says in Second Corinthians chapter 1 where he writes it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ he anointed us and put his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come invasion to ravage invasion to rescue an invitation to rise if you're feeling a bit discouraged this morning a bit weak not able to face life not able to face difficulties not able to face opposition if you have to face opposition are you hearing the call of Jesus to rise up rise up in this new identity and all that goes with it rise up I remember one of my earlier visits when I quoted this hymn that I used to sing in the parish church when I was a young man Rise up, O men of God, if done with lesser things, give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you, for you, for you, does wait. Our strength, unequal to our task. Rise up, rise up, and make her great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've been saying to us this morning. We thank you that you use those who feel utterly unworthy and unfit and incapable and poorly qualified. We thank you for reminding us that in the Lord Jesus Christ we are totally renewed. Help us to agree with you. Help us to agree with your description of our lives. And help us by your spirit day by day to live the life of those who are new people in Jesus Christ. More than conquerors through him who loved us. Having the authority of the living Lord Jesus over the evil one and all his attempts to pull us down. So help us to go from this place today in the strength that you have given us. In Jesus' name. Amen.